1: Oh, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, don't know what time you're listening to this but this is another episode of GodPod and uh, it's great to be with you. It's uh, My name is Graham Tomlin, if you've listened to GodPod uh, God before you'll know my voice, I'm the Bishop of Kensington and um, President of St Malaitis College and um, uh, today it is uh, the two of us, myself and Jane Williams. Hello Jane.
0: Hello, it's very strange isn't it, just the two of us?
1: It is indeed, yeah. Mike Lloyd is somewhere else, not quite sure what he's doing today, and we don't have any guests today, so it's just the two of us, and every now and again it's quite nice to have just a simple conversation between us. Good.
0: It is, and that enables us, Graham, to pick up something that we've chatted about before, um, which I'd love to hear more about. Um, Last time we talked, um, you and I, we were talking about uh, how Christians engage um, more confidently with our culture, rather than um, constantly being pushed onto the back foot about things, how we actually um, uh, engage with, with greater a sense of what we have to contribute to shaping our culture. Where did that idea come from and how is it how is it developing?
1: Well, you're right, Jane. It's something I've been thinking about a, a little bit. And I think it came originally because, um, as you probably listeners may know, or, or they may not, may not know, but the Church of England has been doing a bit of thinking about... Um, uh, what it wants to focus on in the next um, 10 years. And it's been thinking about um, uh, becoming um, in a number of sort of themes that are coming out of that in terms of a sort of mixed economy, different kinds of churches, focusing on parish churches, new forms of church, um, social action in local communities, evangelism, lots of different themes coming out of it. And I guess as I, as I read that, I, I suppose I thought there's something a little bit missing here, which is our Public engagement with with the gospel, and it strikes me that, that very often public figures, public Christian leaders, you can get a hearing. Uh, and I know this as a, as a bishop, um, you can get a hearing if you speak about um, contentious public issues. So if the Archbishop speaks about Brexit, usually there'll be a headline or two. Um, if uh, Christian leaders speak about race uh, or about um, uh, about some economics. Uh, or sort of legal matters within the nation, you know, issues that are of interest to the wider culture, then there'll be a hearing for that. But, but kind of when we talk about Jesus, um, it's harder to get much uh, of a hearing for that. And so, in other words, what 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 we often end up doing is is speaking quite rightly so about how the gospel kind of works out in different contexts. But um, but the kind of um, the heart of the gospel behind that, the things that that um, that motivate and inform and shape our public pronouncements. that very often don't get, get heard. Um, and it seems to me that, you know we, 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 again, we get listened to and notice when we do good works in society, when we do food banks or uh, death advice centres or mm. homeless drop-in centres, people recognise that and value that because of what the church does. Um, we obviously do a fair bit of sort of local church evangelism through courses like Alpha or Christianity Explored or whatever it might be. Um, but really, I think there's something again in the middle, which is the kind of background narrative uh, about Christian faith. Because I think I may be wrong on this, and I'd be interested to get your perspective, but I think there are an awful lot of people out there who kind of think that Christian faith has nothing really very interesting to say about the world therefore it's not worth listening to they're interesting you know christians are interesting when they might talk about issues that everyone else is interested in but the heart of christian faith doesn't seem to offer anything of any great value and i think we need to change that narrative and um it's what might have been called uh, you know apologetics in the past i'm I'm a little bit uneasy about that term for various reasons i'm I'm calling it what i'm calling cultural witness and uh, that's what i think we need to do quite a lot more of a bit of cultural witness in our context at
0: the moment that's so interesting and and, and actually if you th- I mean we've had some quite interesting conversations in previous godpods with people like Morris Glassman for example mm-hmm. um and uh and that great book Dominion that we um yeah. Tom that, Holland, yeah. yeah that we discussed with Tom Holland um which actually suggests that um that, that it's certainly in the past there has been a um, much more expectation that um, Christianity does set culture. It ha- tells you what we're here for in a mm. very particular way. Whereas I think you're, I think you're probably right. Most people now think f- that um, the practice of a religious faith is a is a um, something you add on to mm. a life that actually gets its its main purpose from
1: yeah.
0: something else.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's right, and I think. I think, I think we, we want to say that the Christian faith um, gives you a whole different way of viewing reality, um, some of which will end up saying similar things to a wider culture, but some things might end up saying some quite different things. And it's that whole kind of view of the world that I, I think we need to, uh, to do a bit more work on um, explaining and, and, and displaying. Um, it's kind of how we tell the Christian story more fully. Uh, it's probably one, one way of thinking of this. I've been thinking about that that text um in the New Testament, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, where, where, where St. Paul talks about um you know the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And part of this part of this task, I think, is is, is kind of is this it, work of witness. So telling what we see when we look into the face of Jesus Christ, which is part of explaining. You know, some of the things we talk about on God Pod, but in terms that people kind of outside the church could could understand. But then if you think about, you know, the light that shines from the face of Jesus Christ, um, it's not just looking into that face. It's then looking at the world in the light of the of the light that is shed by the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does the world look like when viewed in that light? Um, I, I often think of uh, in, in the basement of, well, not in the basement, but in one of the downstairs teaching rooms at St. Melitis, you'll know it. Jane very well there's a, there's a there's a there's a huge painting by the the, um, the painter Roger Wagner mm. it's a, a painting of um, Ruth and Boaz and um, if you want to look at it you can just type in online Roger Wagner uh, Ruth and Boaz it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful painting and what I love about it and it's what I love about Roger's paintings more generally is that it's, it's a kind of biblical scene uh, but with some contemporary aspects to it it's a picture of Ruth and Boaz in the fields sort of meeting and talking but you've got kind of workers and and fires um, of tractors in the corner, and oil drums, and um, telephone wires, telegraph wires going across the uh, the, the scene. Um, so it's kind of contemporary but old. But it's always his paintings are always lit by a strange light. Um, the colours are all more vibrant than kind of normal. Uh, and you can't see the light. It's not like there's a sun somewhere that sheds this particular light. But his paintings are always sort of lit in this this this, this rich light that brings out the colors and excuse me that's kind of what we have to describe you know what the world looks like when lit in the light of the gospel mm. um and that's looking at all kinds of aspects of life you know economics and art and history and and um and politics and housing and everything else that's there and just just describing that view of the world as seen in the light of the gospel I think that's what we need to do
0: and I mean obviously in the Past, there have been at least two different approaches to doing that Um, one of which is that is the kind of William Temple approach William Temple who was Archbishop of Canterbury unfortunately very briefly um, because he died quite young but um, was part of a a huge uh, uh, movement to draw people together into conversations all over the country about what kind of a Society we wanted to be, um, quite extraordinary project, um, uh, uh, which collated evidence from people all over the place about um, the, the the future of the country. Um, some of which fed into the creation of the welfare state and so on after um, the Second World War. Some of which fed into things like the World Council of Churches wanting to bring Christians together across the world in different kinds of ways. Um, so, so that huge um, public project, which. Um, which in the late thirties, um, early forties, um, was, seemed to be open to the church of England to help to drive. So that, I mean, uh, that was one approach and it'd be really interesting to know what opportunities there were for the, mm. for the churches now to occupy such mm. a position to drive such a, a, a discussion. And then the other, of course, is the completely, and I'm sure there are others as well, is the complete opposite, which is actually, um, uh, To focus on the fact that maybe not enough Christians do look into the face of Jesus and see even our own lives Mm. in that light. Mm. So do we actually um, uh, need to concentrate more on um, raising a generation of Christians who are deeply um, Mm. shaped by uh, that spirituality that makes them... Uh, visibly different or um, uh, visibly attractive, which is part of what you wrote about, of course, in the provo- provocative church, isn't it? So, um, it, is it an either or or can we do both? Or what, what's your great plan, Graham?
1: Yeah, well, so it's a very interesting um, contrast you, you paint there. And um, I think there is a bit of both. I mean, I, actually, the, the second in some ways is really crucial. I think this is partly a work of catechesis as well as apologetics it's kind of both both belong together and if you do one without the other it doesn't really work uh, because this comes out of people who have been some deeply soaked in the gospel as it were and so the kind of knowledge of the christian faith and the deepening of discipleship and understanding it seems to be a crucial part of this um so i think there is a there is that that element and it's I suppose my my observation on the the william temple 1940s thing is i suppose two two things to say about that one is i mean we are i think in a different place now than they were then yeah, we are a much more kind of post-Christian, even possibly post-secular uh, world than they were. I think it was possible for the Christian church to have a much stronger voice in the shaping of culture then that it is now. Yeah. So we're in a slightly different place, which is why which is why I'm sort of slightly shifting away from the language of apologetics, because that seems to I think it's got a bit of baggage that 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 word. It's some for many people, it seems to convey the idea of sort of a rationalist foundationalist approach of arguments for Christian faith, which yeah. I know it hasn't always meant that, but it sometimes has meant that. It's why I'm talking much more in terms of cultural witness. It seems to be our primary stance towards the world today is 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 um is that a witness. I was reading something by Walter Brueggemann recently. He was saying that in a in a post-Christian world, um you know, our, our primary stance towards the world is not so much proclamation, because that implies a kind of common understanding between ourselves and the wider culture. Uh, but it's primarily witness. It's, we're witnessing to another reality. We're witnessing to the city of God that is coming, to use Augustine's language. We're, we're witnessing to the to the kingdom of God. We're witnessing to what we have seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and witness is always contested. Um it's contested in a law court, it's contested whatever you do it. But, but that's okay. You know, we, we bear witness, we just tell our story, we tell what we have seen in the light of in the face of Jesus Christ. And that seems to be much more the right stance today than the you know, let's shape society in the way that that, that um, was maybe a little bit more possible in William Temple's day. I think the other thing I'd say about um, the 1940s is that there's a, I think it's a very interesting story to be told in that because alongside William Temple, in the, in the, during the, the Second World War period, um, there was a whole sort of an attempt to kind of, um, uh, to, if you like, to, to display the Christian view of the world. And you had people like C.S. Lewis you had W.H. Auden, you had Dorothy Sayers, you had T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot. Yeah. You
0: had yeah. Simone
1: Weil, you had Jacques Maritain in, in France. You had a, a number of Christian intellectuals who were very often not professional theologians. Um, they were largely deeply thoughtful Christians who had other, you know, they were poets and playwrights and novelists. Um, and actually what they did is, is in, in the 1940s, you had this extraordinary outpouring of a kind of Christ, the Christian imagination. Through all these figures, so you know, C.S. Lewis gave his his talks that led to what became Mere Christianity in the ni- in the nineteen forties during the war. It was eventually published, in I think in nineteen fifty two. You know, all the way through the war years, these people were writing. Now, the interesting thing about that is, not only did that I think also fed into this, you know, possibly the creation of the of the um, the welfare state. It actually led to church growth. um the, the the only period of uh, the blip between the mid 19th century and today, because we, that, since then it's been pretty solid decline in church in, in, in church attendance. The one ex- exemption to that is the period from 1945 through to about 1956. After the Second World War, there was an upturn in people going to oh, church. That's
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: um, which has often been recognised but never really been analysed. So Callum Brown's book on um, uh, you know sort of secularisation. Uh, focuses on the 1960s as the great period when you know um, Britain was secularised and the church lost its place. And he recognises this upturn in church attendance in the post-war period. He can't really explain it. He talks about the Billy Graham campaigns, but they were they were much later. They were sort of 1954 onwards. Mm-hmm. And how do you explain that? And I think a lot, a lot of part of the reason I mean, maybe in you know, a reaction to the war and so on. But I, I think I wonder whether a lot of it is because of this um, completely coordinated. But somehow, um, this flowering of the Christian imagination, this flowering of a kind of cultural witness that happened in the Second World War through these important figures—that's the kind of thing I think we need to do.
0: That's so interesting, Graham. Um, I mean, and I suppose I mean, at the risk of sounding like Eeyore, um, hmm. I, I wonder again if if we are in a different kind of situation. So that um, I mean, obviously. Uh, Eliot and Sayers and um, C.S. Lewis—they—they they, not all of their work um, was uh, uh, overtly Christian. So they were talking about reshaping the imagination in all kinds of um, different ways. Um, but I—I I do wonder now if. Um, if you had a novelist or a poet or an artist who was known to be a Christian, whether they would get sidelined as a Christian novelist or a Christian artist, or uh, and th- that would instantly um, make it much harder for them to 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 uh, engage the wider cultural imagination. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I wonder though, because I mean, we know we've had a number of people on on Godpod recently who who do buck the turn. I think of um, Marilyn Robinson, for example, that we. We um, we had one of our lectures and we had a discussion with her. Now, in some ways, she is known as a as a Christian novelist um, and a, an unpopular form of it. She, she was very upfront about being. You know, John Calvin is one of her favourite theologians, and she sort of almost often mm. talks about herself as a sort of Calvinist theolo- Calvinist novelist, which is a sort of slightly strange designation. Um, Indeed, but, you know, Christianity isn't that popular these days. Calvin is even less popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is widely read around the world and a hugely respected figure, and, and many of her, her novels are, are deeply Christian. In a, in a not in a um, sort of crass you know sort of um, evangelistic sort of format, as it were, but you know with some deeply rich um, you know, Christian themes in it. I mean Tom Holland again that we spoke of earlier on, you know writing if you like a kind of Christian history of the West. In a way that was sort of recognized beyond. I think it's very interesting that these are these are not again they're non-theologians. Um, they're people writing in a different register. Uh, so I, I just I suppose I do think it is possible for people to write um, this kind of Christian um, uh, literature, art, history, and to gain a, a hearing and an audience for it, even even in the conditions of you know deeply secularized. 2020s
0: and i mean it's partly deeply secularized isn't it it's partly deeply i don't know what the right word is i don't exactly mean anti-intellectual but a sort of sense that Mm. um um that we're there aren't many places in our culture at least in britain where there is a, a a a real public space for discussing big ideas I think we've got um, I mean we've always been known as a nation of shopkeepers and there is that sort of pragmatic um, uh, element to um, some of our, our our culture you might say yep. um, that, that makes this kind I mean I don't know where you would begin to have this discussion Graham where would be the spaces the um, physical or, or virtual spaces um, yep. That weren't um, defined um, in in with the kind of boundaries that would make it difficult for people um, yep. to join in.
1: Yeah, I think mean, that's right. I mean, I think using the parallel of the 1940s, I think the the technology that was used there was was the radio. Yeah, it was um, you know C.S. Lewis's broadcast talks that led to mere Christianity. It was Dorothy Sayers' plays. Um, you know, that were, again, were broadcast largely on radio at the time. Radio was the kind of medium through which these things tended to happen, and books, of course, uh, as well. I mean, they, I mean, obviously, the predominant medium today is, is the internet for that. I and mean, some ways, even over the last year with lockdown, we've seen the explosion of podcasts of yeah. um, of actually certain websites that are, you know, becoming spaces like that. I think the problem is, that, I mean, there, there are lots of really good Christian voices out there that um, speak in those contexts. You know, I've, I've, you know, written the old thing myself for the, the Times and the Spectator and for, you know, various and Prospect magazine and so on. But they're very often within the context of a broader secularized narrative. And you get the odd little Christian voice here yeah. and there. And it seems to me what we need to do is not just have that. Yes, that's needed, too. But we need to create the kind of spaces in which that kind of can happen within the broader framework of a Christian understanding of the world. Um, whether that's websites, whether it's podcasts or whatever, Um and, uh, and to do that in a slightly more coordinated way that creates a, a space which is inquiring, it's not dogmatic, it's not um, uh, you know, resisting any kind of form of discussion, but it is very, very much outward looking. It seems to be a lot of Christian stuff online is kind of inter Christian discussion. Yeah. You know, there are sort of Christian websites and so on, which is basically all about, you know, how we run the church or how to how to grow the church or how to do your prayer meeting or how to do spirituality or whatever. It's, just, it's there for Christians, which is fine. But I think it's what I'm talking about is things that are much more deliberately focused upon the person outside the church um, or the person on the edges of the church looking in or the people who are within the church who are looking to engage with their wider culture and looking for resources to help them to think how to do that. And that's the other thing I think we need to do yeah
0: with. which is why I, I think you' i I think you're almost certainly right that apologetics is not the way to do it. it's not so much putting an argument ab- about um the rightness or otherwise of, of, mm. of Christianity it is actually engaging the imagination um so I mean some of the uh, things that it seems to me really work uh, 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 for example that installation of Tracy Emmons in Liverpool Cathedral yeah because um, that's people think what mm. <laughs> you know yep. uh, that those two don't go together um and yet uh, uh, and um, um and it's i mean that it's, it's not a christian statement that she's mm. making um mm. overtly but it is something that's tapping into a whole well of un, of uh, imagery and uh, understanding that deeply connects with christianity yeah um uh, and, and if again for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about go and um Google Tracey Evan and Liverpool yeah. Cathedral. it's uh, um it's one of those inspired little bits of uh, of conversation um, mm. um between um, a, a Christian institution and somebody who's who's just interested in the imagination and opening that up um,
1: well, I think, yeah I think that's right and I think it's um again one of the reasons why i'm starting to moving away from the word apologetics is because apologetics can sometimes convey the word i mean there's nothing wrong with the word apologia is a good new testament word um but the way apologetics has been used in more recent times can convey the idea that you know we are marshalling a set of arguments as to why christianity might be true but that so often that assumes a kind of common rationality underneath a sort of you know set of Criteria that we can appeal to uh, that is shared by people in the church and outside, which there may be at a deeper level, but um, kind of that's kind of hard to find. And it seems to me that you know we're now in a in a slightly sort of more narrative period of human history. where actually it's you know there are all kinds of different stories around. I mean, I was reading a um, fascinating book by um, by the sort of ethicist philosopher Christian Smith. Um, talking about the storied nature of reality. There are all these different stories out there. You know, you talked talk about the story of, you know, American ex, you know, except, exceptional exceptionalism or Islamic resurgence, you know, or of capitalist prosperity or the progressive socialist narrative. And they've all got sort of, you know, a story, a vision of reality. And there's the Christian vision of reality. Hmm. And our task is not to, prov- to to provide a set of arguments appealing to a common set of rationality that will argue someone into faith. But it's to show how the world looks like when viewed through the lens of the gospel. And I had a fascinating example of this yesterday, as as you know, and many people on the listening to this podcast may know. I've been doing a lot of work on on, on housing recently over the last two years. Been on the Archbishop's Commission on Housing. We developed a, a kind of theology of housing, which is um, you know five key values on what good housing looks like, which maps onto the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel, which is. A story of home you know this it's, it's, it's this is the prodigal son is the story of the bible you know beginning with a home that's provided for us uh, by god our abuse of that hospitality and our leaving our divinely given home and then the long journey back again you know into the the far country of, of sin and then redemption and being brought back home again uh, you know which in the prodigal son story is returned to the father's home uh, in the whole Bible, it's Genesis, it's, it's revelation with the picture of you know, God making his home with us. Anyway, I, I was meeting with a group of civil servants yesterday who were interested in the report. And um, as, far as I know, I don't know if any of them were Christian or not, but um, no reason to think they were. And um basically did just told this story. This is our vision of, of housing. And, and it was fascinating to get to get the response. So you were people who were, you know, deeply thinking people, not particularly Christian, saying that, well, that was the bit that really interested me. Yeah you know you're sort of we don't get that you know we get lots of reports on housing that tell us what to do with all kinds of recommendations. but no one really gives us a big picture of what housing looks like and obviously they were fascinated by the by the theology of housing they probably have not come across that word theology no. before but it's that kind of thing that it's giving this is what the world looks like when viewed in the light of the gospel that's I think what we need to be about.
0: So how are we going to start Graham? I mean, yeah. obviously, you um, were presumably offered that opportunity and were able to take it up, partly because of your witness after the the dreadful fire at Grenfell Tower, yeah. um, and and because you're a bishop. Um, yeah. What what shall the rest of us do?
1: Well, I often think of. Um, you know the beginnings of God pod, you know, we, we we began I don't know how long ago it was 15 years ago or something. Um we thought okay we'll have a few conversations put it out there and see who see who listens and it kind of took off and here we are still 15 years later talking to each other. Um is a minor miracle in its own right. <laughs> it uh, is yeah <laughs> and um so I, I and at that time we had no idea this would this would grow and last as long as it, it did. And, and I think it's um, I mean, there's room for kind of big church initiatives i think there's something that's you know maybe within the church of england other churches we can do and that's a, that's a mindset change to start thinking okay rather than how do we sort out our internal matters it's a shift the mindset thinking about how do we tell the story more effectively and and more imaginatively in in wider culture but it can also be done at small levels through using a twitter account through um, through setting up a little podcast, through using TikTok, through using Instagram, whatever it is you've got. I mean, one of the things about the modern world is that everybody has a voice. Um, How can I use that voice in a creative way? Um, in, and maybe teaming up with others to do that as well. If you've got other people and friends who have got the same sort of vision, why not get together, do a, um, uh, do a podcast, use a social media channels, but always think about it, not, not just, you know, this is interesting to us, but thinking about it, what, what if someone outside the church was listening to this? Um, uh, and how would they, what would they make of it? Mm. What are the things that would sort of connect into people kind of who are just showing that little bit of interest into Christian faith at the time? So that's the kind of thing I think we can mm. do. And if there's lots of little small voices, we don't all have to be C.S. Lewis or Dorothy Sayers or T.S. Eliot, uh, there may be a few of them out there, but we've got all all our small voices and the, if we can all use our small voices that chorus begins to grow and to and to flourish and gets heard in more significant ways.
0: And then it might also enable more C.S. Lewis's and Dorothy Sayers because um, their imaginations were already deeply steeped in the Christian gospel whereas uh, lots of um, people who are moving into the arts and in indeed into the sciences and into shaping politics and so on, mm. have not had that opportunity to yeah. um, to have their imaginations shaped by a world view. Oh, yeah. it, it just is so interesting that those civil servants um, had never, they enjoyed the theology. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to believe it, but actually um, mm. just to have a chance to um, imagine the world um, rather than um, make decisions about how to run it,
1: yeah, yeah, I guess right and I think you know there's a um there's a longing for that kind of thing there's a you know we, we live in a world where there there are very few, there are no real common stories that we tell there's so many different stories than and that's part of the nature of our of our world but on the one hand that's a it's a, that's the kind of fragmentation of the modern world, but on the other hand it's an, an openness to other stories to be. To be heard and um i think it is our task within a um within the kind of society we're in at the moment you know to tell our story as confident as we as we can but that's the other reason why i think we need to do this kind of thing because i think there are a lot of christians out there who who have kind of lost a sense of confidence in the gospel
0: yeah
1: uh, and they're afraid yeah. to sort of put their hands up and say oh, i'm a christian because they'll get you know the usual stuff from the dawkins brigade or uh, or whatever it might be you know sort of directed at them and they' don't, or
0: they'll get friend or they'll get friendly questions that they don't feel equipped
1: to yeah. engage. yeah
0: um, it's not always hostility it is sometimes just you know um, this is so deeply personal that we've never tried to explain to anybody else why it matters
1: yeah sure um, exactly that's right yeah. yeah yeah and it's why you know again it was fascinating to see those civil servants. At the very least, just begin to think. Oh, yeah, well, Christian faith might have something to offer my world, my world of housing, because they were all basically working in the Department of housing in, in, in within government. And so, um, uh, and even if it's just that, it's just that little sort of step in the right direction. Um, but the regaining of, of confidence in in the richness of the faith that we have and the way in which it in you know, it shaped culture for. for you know, a couple of thousand years until relatively recently. Now, yes, we made mistakes over that period and, and there was a right kind of apology. And, you know, there's apologetics in another sense of that proper apologizing for the mistakes that we've made in the past. But but we don't want to spend all our time apologizing in that way. I mean, we do have something to offer in yeah. the world. And, um, the and this
0: it couldn't be a more important moment to be doing it, could there? Um, we, we are, the world is going to be being reshaped as yeah. a result of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, and every single um, uh, discipline um, is in, engaged in thinking okay so what happens next yeah. um, uh, and so this is such a key time for us yeah. to be saying there is a a, a a vision of how you might reshape yeah
1: um, I think mean, that's right you know I often think of a parallel with Around the you know the second, third, fourth centuries of the of the church, you know the beginnings of the fall, the breaking up of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. It was around that time, the second century, you had people like you know Justin Martyr and Athenagoras and those of the early Christian apologists. You had Origen, um, a strange theologian, but still wrote this sort of magnificent um, uh, you know depiction of Christian faith in his *Contra Celsum*. You had Augustine, *The City of God*. Uh, which, which is kind of the same thing. That's, that, that's what the city of God was. It was a, a depiction of the, the failure of paganism to offer a deeply satisfying way of, of, of living and dying. And uh, Christianity's ability to do that far better than paganism did. Mm-hmm. And um, Augustine was exactly doing that very thing. He was you know, engaging the culture of his time, showing this, a picture of the city of God and kindling a yearning for that city. in in the middle of the the city of this world. It's that sort of thing that's badly needed today. At a time, that was a time when there was a great shift of culture, you know, as the Roman Empire was beginning to fall apart. You know, we're now in a time of great shifting of culture. You know, we've had Brexit. We've had the Trump years in in America. We've had um, the pandemic. You know, so much is changing all the time. And now seems to be such a crucial time to do this kind of work.
0: So that's a... You know, a rallying call to anybody listening to this yeah. to think about how we might actually engage this particular challenge. Um, I right. shall go away and write a novel. <laughs>
1: Very good. We'll, we'll, all, we'll all long to read that one, Jane. Yeah, I'm yeah.
0: sure you will. It's, don't worry.
1: It it, will, yeah.
0: Maybe in the
1: city of God, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Mike and I will be worrying whether we're, whether we're going to be in it. So. <laughs> Yeah, very good. Well, it's good to talk, as always, Jane.
0: It's really fun to talk, yes.
1: It's good. And um, I'm sure we'll be back with another Godpod before long. And um, so uh, thank you to those of you who've been listening today, and um, maybe you have a good day wherever you are. And uh, we'll see you again before too long.
0: That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.